When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Pakel. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake doing the heavy lifting. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. Thank you so much. We're at 15,000 subscribers. How about that? And that, that's not us. That's all y'all. That is all of you that are watching this show, whether it's on your lunch break, whether you're watching in real time at the premiere, whether you're listening on podcast and then going and subscribing to the YouTube channel. We thank you so much for your efforts. The community that we have here is what makes this fun. The back and forth, the people that actually make up the fabric of the college football landscape in large part is the fan bases. And so we thank you for being a part of this ride. We're going to keep the party rolling. This is not the end of the video, but we're going to keep the party rolling. We got a ton of picks for you tonight. We have against the suits to end the show. We went four and two last week. We made a little bit of money. Can I get an amen? We got five games, count them five games to break down. And I want to open this show. Careful. I want to open this show with a word of caution because every single year, it happens the exact same way. Week one comes, week one goes, and at the end of week one, you think you know everything. I myself am guilty of this. I will admit, I have been guilty of this in the past. Would like to think I've learned my lesson, become a better man, and become a better analyst because of it. But I want to give you a story to sort of illustrate my point here. The year is 2013. The Washington State Cougars roll into Jordan-Hare Stadium to play the Auburn Tigers. Auburn should handle this team fairly easily on paper, right? SEC team, they got more up front. They got the SEC speed, athleticism. What happens? Well, Auburn wins the game by a touchdown. Auburn's quarterback, Nick Marshall, throws for less than 100 yards. And they play that Pac-12 team extremely close. Again, at home in an SEC environment. So, after week one, we're all saying, oh, boy, going to be a long year for Auburn. Gus Malzahn, that first-year head coach over there, I mean, they're, they're going to have problems. His first year being the head coach at Auburn, that is. They're going to have issues, folks. All right, they can't throw the ball. They barely beat a Pac-12 team. Hey, go ahead and mail in Auburn for the rest of the year. That was the narrative after week one. A lot of conclusions were drawn. A lot of blanket statements were made. And then what happened the rest of the way? Well, that same Auburn team that won by a touchdown against Washington State then went on to win the SEC and play for a national title in the Rose Bowl. A young J.D. Pacquel was there sitting in the second to last row. I was happy to be in the building. But all that's to say, you don't know what you think you know after week one. It's like the first day of school. Everybody dresses up nice for the first day of school. Everybody kind of brings their best self for the first day of school. Then there's another group of the population where 
They wake up late. They're still in summer mode. They're still trying to get acclimated. They're still trying to get their stuff together and figure out what it's like to get into this new rhythm, this new season. And they don't bring their best to school. So there's those two dynamics at play. What happens, though, over the course of that school year, you get a good sense for each student. Same thing with the college football landscape. Over the course of the season, we're going to get a good gauge for what each of these teams bring to the table. But you cannot make definitive statements off of week one. Let the 2013 Auburn Tigers be a testament to that. Like I said, we got a lot of games to jump into. Alabama is going to Austin, Texas to play the Longhorns. College game day is going to be there. Big noon kickoff's going to be there. We're going to be there watching on our couch, so we're going to be there in spirit watching that game. But I'm not disappointed to not be at this game. It's going to be what sounds like 700 degrees Fahrenheit at the time of kick being played on turf at DKR. And this game has been circled for a long time. It's been the talking point of the offseason for a very, very long time especially in Texas Longhorn circles, this is being viewed as a litmus test. Hey, how far along are we in the Sark era? How much do we have in this program offensively with Quinn Ewers? How different do we look? Because you're measuring yourself up against, like it or not, the standard for programs in college football. You can make a case for Ohio State. You can make a case for Georgia. But in terms of a program under the same person in Nick Saban for what they've done over the period of time he's been there. They are the standard in college football. And so for Texas, this is a great chance to take your best shot and then also see where you match up, see where you are in that process to ultimately measuring up against the standard. The spread right now is Alabama minus 20. I believe it was somewhere around 14 when it opened. The money has been pouring in on the Crimson Tide. But like we typically do when it comes to these breakdowns, if it were to be an upset, if Texas were to pull this off at home, what would have to happen? First and foremost, and it sounds cliche, we talked to Joe Cook over there at Inside Texas, does a great job for us, our Texas on three site, and he echoed this sentiment. They need to be able to establish the run. And it sounds like coach speak. It sounds like it's boilerplate stuff, but it could not be more true in this game. Bijan Robinson is Texas's best player. He is the most dangerous person with the football in his hands. He needs to see the ball probably around, no joke, 30 times. Whether that's carries, whether that's carries and catches, he needs to see the ball a lot. But what they can do on the ground is how they're going to set the tone for the rest of the afternoon. Because if that run game gets going, if somehow they're able to get a push up front with those young offensive linemen and Bijan Robinson can make something happen and sort of wiggle and find his way through and get some positive carries early in the game, well, then what happens is those linebackers start to creep up a little bit, start to get a little bit greedy. They're tired of Bijan Robinson gashing them. And that's when Steve Sarkeesian and this RPO scheme, the run past option offense, that's when it sort of takes hold of the defense. That's when you're going to have some more breathing room if you're Quinn Ewers to be able to hit Xavier Worthy over the middle. You're able to hit Sanders on a pop pass. That's when the rest of the offense can kind of get going. So that is crucial. In addition to that, if there were to be a ever so slight advantage, if you were going to make an argument for Texas to have an advantage in this game, it's on the outside. It's early in the year. 
Alabama a season ago wasn't necessarily lighting the world on fire with their secondary, and they're breaking in some guys. Eli Ricks, a transfer from LSU, enormously talented. He's still sort of cutting his teeth in that defense, and they're sort of green at the other corner positions as well. Kool-Aid McKinstry at times last year, again, wasn't playing all-world caliber football. And then you got Xavier Worthy. You get Ajay Hall back. We'll see what his impact is, but he's familiar with this program of Alabama. Again, very, very hesitant on saying he'll be a high-impact player. But you got to talk about your weapons if you're Texas because that's the ever-so-slight advantage. Maybe you take advantage of the... I don't know if immaturity is the right word, but inexperience in the secondary for Alabama. Because if it's week seven, I think Alabama's caught their mojo. Getting them in week two, getting them in their first road game, that could be the slight advantage. So if I'm Texas, I'm Quinn Ewers, I'm Xavier Worthy, I am testing that. I'm testing that early, and then if that works, I'm testing it often. So being able to generate big plays and being able to keep the secondary honest is going to be a big deal for them going forward. So here's the deal. If Texas does win this game, what does it mean? It means that Quinn Ewers grew up in front of your eyes in his second career start and is now the stuff of legend in Austin, Texas. It also means that the culture at Texas, the whole revamp we've been talking about for, for years, it feels like for the longest time, you're starting to finally see some fruits of that labor. Has it arrived? Again, it's week two. We'll see, y'all. Like, we will see. But a win against Alabama and the GOAT and the former Heisman Trophy winner for Texas, that means there is reason for new belief in Austin. All the stuff that you've talked about, all the recruiting classes, all you did in the transfer portal, getting Queen Ewers there, all of that has seen some final definitive results. Cannot be overstated. Look into Bama. For them to win this game, quite frankly, they have to not give it away. They're going to have more talent, and that's not a knock against Texas. But as a product, Bama is just further along in their development than Texas is. Bama has a lot of things built that Texas is striving to build. You got Quinn Ewers at quarterback. You have high aspirations for him. You have high hopes for him. Will he be someone who's in the Heisman Trophy race one day? They sure hope so. Bryce Young's won it. Bryce Young's looking for his second. He's got one of those stiff arm trophies on his mantle in his apartment in Tuscaloosa. So that's the first thing. In addition, you got to limit the explosive plays. We talked about it a little bit with Texas, but there is a very, very slight, I mean, again, this is an argument, but there is a very slight vulnerability in the secondary for Alabama. And if Texas can capitalize on that, well, then you're sort of having to play catch up as Alabama, which sounds funny to even say out loud. Again, we're saying, how does Bama make sure they win this game? Limit the explosive plays. Don't give the game away. You have enough talent on this offense and this defense to where if you don't shoot yourself in the foot, you should be in good position to have control of the game. Bryce Young at times last week against Utah State it was Utah State. He accounted for like six touchdowns. They rolled. We actually made money here on the hard count with against the suits, taking a minus 41 and a half. They got the job done easily. But in those first couple of drives, Bryce Young is setting the protections. There were times where I wasn't crazy about the protection he had set. And you could you could see in terms of the communication on the sideline with Nick Saban and Bryce Young, it was a hey, my bad. I didn't have that set, and that's why I got hit off the edge. That's why we had to kick a field goal on this first drive. We're being nitpicky, but Bryce Young better make sure he sets the protection. 
he better make sure that he has everything set because I think Texas is going to throw the kitchen sink at Alabama. And why wouldn't you? If you're Texas, Steve Sarkeesian said it this week in the press conferences. He said, this has no impact on our end goal. We want to be in Dallas at the end of the year playing for a Big 12 title. This game for us, we got house money. And if I'm reading between the lines, I'm saying, we're not supposed to win this game. Bama's favored by 20. We got nothing to lose. There is nothing more dangerous than a soldier with nothing to lose because he is unloading the clip. And that's what I expect for Texas to give to Bama in this game. You're at home. You're not supposed to win. They're the big dogs. You're the little guy. You're David. They're Goliath. Throw some stones. Absolutely swing for the fence if I'm Texas. When it comes to our prediction, like we said, on paper, Bama is just further developed. Bama has more in place that Texas is striving to get into place. If Texas were to win, it would be a huge deal for that program. At the end of the day, I think the maturity of the program as a whole for Bama and then Bryce Young being just enormously talented is what ends the game for Bama. So all that's to be said, we're taking Alabama to win this game 45-24 so they cover the spread. But if Texas can just have a strong showing, if they can put up a good fight, there's no moral victories, but I think you feel encouraged in Austin saying, okay, we can hang with these guys. If, if, if this is the standard in college football and we put up a good fight for the first half or three quarters, again, no moral victories. There's no little brother syndrome for Texas. I 100% agree and understand that. That's not acceptable in Austin, but it'd be hard to not have something that you're excited about to build forward. Again, sort of a litmus test for Texas in terms of measuring themselves against Alabama and against the GOAT. But again, we got Bama winning that game in Austin, 45-24. It's going to be hot. We talked to Ivan Mazel yesterday. He's going to the game. He said he might be down on the field for a little bit. But with how hot it's going to be, that was even a talking point when this game was scheduled. When this time was announced, they're saying it's not good for player safety, this, that, and the other. Whatever. It's hot for everybody. Got to find a way to go win the game, whoever you are. But those conditions, I do not envy either side with how hot it's going to be. Next game, we got to talk about South Carolina is heading to Fayetteville to play Arkansas. Arkansas ranked number 16 this week in the AP. They're favored in this game by 8.5. It started out at 9.5, went down to 8.5, which is interesting to me. I'll tell you why. But for South Carolina, they looked shaky when I watched them against Georgia State last week. They didn't necessarily get out of the gate super hot. We took them minus 12.5 and, and against the suits. We won, but I was sweating that thing out for the first two quarters. It took a blocked punt, and it took... The, the floodgate sort of opening for South Carolina to eventually get that number covered. But I was watching this game and I was really worried about Spencer Rattler. I was expecting him to sort of have a revamp. I was expecting him to come out firing at all cylinders and sort of prove to the world that he is still that guy that we thought he was last year in the preseason and to throw two interceptions. That's why he lost his job at Oklahoma. So I was discouraged to see that again, it's week one. So we're not making any definitive overarching statements, but in that one sample size, I was disappointed, hoping he can get it back on track. Probably even more important for South Carolina, only 73 yards rushing against Georgia State. Georgia State is a good football team. They will maybe not win. I'm not going to say they're going to win the conference. They're going to contend for that conference, if not win it. But when it comes to 
what you should do at South Carolina against that kind of competition, you should run for more than 73 yards. And Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator for South Carolina, that's a point of emphasis for him. He wants to be able to go under center, turn around and hand the ball to whoever it is back there. I mean, pick your poison, whether it's Christian Beal Smith or Lloyd. I mean, you, you got some guys to hand the ball to. Christian Beal Smith is expected to go in this game. I know he's a little bit banged up, but you should be able to force the issue at South Carolina against Georgia State. So all that's to be said against Arkansas, it's not getting any easier. It is not going to get any easier. That front seven is not going to look like Georgia State's front seven. It's going to be some big, fast, physical human beings. Drew Sanders being one of them. Bumper Pool being another one of them. That front seven for Arkansas is going to give you issues. So for South Carolina, if you're going to win this game, you have to be able to be versatile on offense. You can't just ask Spencer Rattler to be Superman, which has been a quote we've taken from SEC Media Day and Shane Beamer and ran with it. We 1,000% agree with that. They don't want him to have to be Superman. And we don't think he needs to be Superman for South Carolina to be as effective as they ultimately want to be. And so for South Carolina, can you establish something on the ground? That 73 yards a week ago, it's not going to cut it. Can you get something on the ground to take something off of Spencer Rattler's plate? Because if you're asking him to go win the game for you, I think you have problems. I think you're going to have issues. And then in terms of stopping the run, Can you stop K.J. Jefferson and the big boys up front for Arkansas? Can you hold your water? Can you hold your water? That's going to be crucial, something to see. As it always does with Arkansas, they make you play in the trenches. Does South Carolina have the juice to be competitive in the trenches to be able to throw the ball off that offensively? And then can they get to a a difficult third down for Arkansas when they're playing defense? That's going to be crucial. Going to be absolutely crucial to the outcome of this game. Looking to Arkansas kind of to talk about the other side of that coin, I think they're going to be able to run the ball well. Ran for 200 last week against Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is no slouch of a program. Lost a lot to the NFL, but Arkansas just kind of had their way. Six minutes left in the game, they don't give the ball back. Just imposed their will on Cincinnati. And Sam Pittman after the game was kind of saying, hey, we didn't really run the ball as well as we thought we wanted to. And he looks at his stat sheet and says, for 200 yards, I guess we ran it okay. But you could tell he still wasn't thrilled with the way they ran the football in that game, which if I'm South Carolina and I'm going to be on the receiving end of that this week, I'm saying, oh boy, okay, buckle up your chin straps, boys. We're going to have to go play a physical four quarters of ball against this Razorbacks team. So I think they're going to be able to run the ball well. Whether it's 200 yards or not, I don't know if it matters. They're going to be able to run the ball well, in my opinion. Off of that, though, when South Carolina is saying, hey, all right, we're going to commit seven in the box, or excuse me, eight in the box. We're going to commit extra bodies to the run game. We we just have to. Arkansas, you've made it clear you're going to run the ball. We're going to make it clear we're going to commit guys to try and match up with you. When that happens, do they have the explosiveness to make them pay? Do they have the burners on the outside to make them pay? Because a year ago, it was Traylon Burks, and we've talked about this with Arkansas at length on this program. Do they have somebody that can say, all right, you're going to have one safety deep? That's too bad, because here we go. Play action, KJ Jefferson going deep too. Who is it? Is it Jaden Hazelwood? Does Trey Knox 
go back to his wide receiver days and go deep. I mean, there's got to be somebody to take the top off this defense because that's the ultimate counterpunch to being able to just continue to pound the rock at Arkansas. That's going to be a big deal. However, in the secondary, Arkansas is a little bit beat up. Ben Bryan and co. last week threw for about 300 yards on all Arkansas. Secondary's kind of dinged up right now. And for all the shortcomings we feel like Spencer Rattler has on this program, we still have never questioned his ability. Questioned his decision-making at times, but his ability, no. Dude's got an arm. Dude can make every throw when he's on. So if Arkansas is going to have a similar performance they did last week, does Spencer Rattler kind of catch his rhythm? If Spencer Rattler gets into rhythm, does that change the game? Because you got some weapons. You got Jaheim Bell. You got Dak Joyner if you're South Carolina. Got to be able to play sound in the secondary for Arkansas. Because, again, if they get going passing the football and they discover, hey, the run game's not working. Again, 73 yards last week against Georgia State. Run game's not going to work. Okay, we'll evolve. We'll adapt. We'll attack you where we think you're weak. That can't be the case for Arkansas. Because if that happens, I think the game becomes a tempo that's a little more pushed than Arkansas would like. So our prediction for this game, ultimately, South Carolina's line of scrimmage just gives me too much pause. Seven, I keep going back to the stat. 73 yards on the ground against Georgia State. Is this going to be how South Carolina is the rest of the year? I'm not ready to say that. But from game one to game two, they need a vast improvement. So if I'm picking this game based on the strength of Arkansas, it's line of scrimmage. The line of scrimmage for Arkansas is their bread and butter. That's their formula. That's what works for them. As a whole, the matchup-wise just favors Arkansas. At the end of the day, the matchups, the bodies, the big human beings up front favors Arkansas. So we like Arkansas to win. We like Arkansas to cover. This will come back later in the show, but we think Arkansas wins this game 34-21 in Fayetteville. Sam Hartman gets himself, excuse me, Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman, too, honestly. Going to be back for Wake Forest. Uh, Sam Pittman gets himself another cold beer after a win for Arkansas. How about that? Wake Forest and Vandy this week for Sam Hartman. What a game to come back for. Commodore's rolling a little bit, huh, Nick? Good stuff. Tennessee is going to Pittsburgh to play the fighting Keaton Slovises and the Backyard Brawl champions. They obviously had a Really, really tough fought win against West Virginia in that backyard brawl that they won. But Tennessee put on a show against Ball State. Both these programs are ranked. Tennessee coming in at 24, Pitt at number 17. And Tennessee lost this game last season. Now, Pitt looked a little bit different last year with Kenny Pickett and Mark Whipple and Jordan Addison. But you don't think Tennessee remembers that? They're out for blood in this game. The line right now is Tennessee minus six and a half. Pitt, I think, would like to probably keep it a little bit lower scoring if they can. Keaton Slovis, again, 38 points last week. A pick six was factored into that, but they still had a pretty strong offensive showing. Rodney Hammond for Pitt, the running back, I was really impressed with last week. Thought he ran the ball really hard, forced the issue against West Virginia. They had to commit bodies. They had to commit bodies to the run game. And that's what Tennessee, I think, is going to have to do in this game in order to slow him down and neutralize that threat. Now, the only issue for Tennessee is that's what Pitt wants to do. 
for Pitt to be able to win this game, they need to have the play action game working. We saw it last week against West Virginia. There were times where Keaton Slovis, when the run game wasn't working early on, I'm not biting on play action if you're not running the football effectively, my guy. That's just the way it goes. You got to show me you can do it if you want me to honor it. So Pitt needs to establish the run, and I think Rodney Hammond is going to be a big piece of that, obviously. But Keaton Slovis showed you why he had that big year at USC previously. I mean, he went over 300 yards against West Virginia, a lot of ability. He's going to test Tennessee, especially if they can get that play-action game working. Now, defensively, Pitt is going to stack the box. Josh Heupel talked about it this week in his press conference. He said they're going to commit extra bodies and play real physical with you in that front seven to stop the run. And Josh Heupel also seceded, folks, Tennessee media, you know our game. A lot of what we do starts with that running game, starts with Jabari Small. So for Tennessee, can you, can you generate something when they do stack that box? And for Pitt, can you ultimately stop the run and force them to play left-handed and only throw the football? Left-handed is maybe the wrong term to use, but I promise you they want to run the football first and foremost and throw off that. Can you get them off schedule? Can you get them off script by committing extra bodies to that front seven and then be diligent on the back end? Because they played well statistically, did Pitt, in terms of being able to, to play well in the secondary, but there were times big old Bryce Ford Wheaton, six foot three, he gave him problems. That big body wide receiver for West Virginia gave him problems. Something to keep an eye on because for Tennessee, this will be their first real test since they took care of business against Ball State. But they have someone that I think is an interesting comp to Bryce Ford Wheaton, and that's Cedric Tillman, their go-to guy, over a thousand-yard receiver last year in the Southeastern Conference. That's saying something. He's also six foot three. He's also a matchup problem. And if I'm Tennessee, I'm going to test that. I'm going to say, okay, you had problems with someone kind of similar to Cedric Tillman. We were already going to throw him the ball, but now we're definitely going to throw him the ball. Because Pitt, for all that they try to do in the run game, for all the intensity they have in the run game, they let their DBs play on an island. They play a lot of man coverage. And so I think that's something to keep an eye on in this game because what we know about Tennessee, they got some playmakers. At the very least, they have one dynamic playmaker in Cedric Tillman. Something to keep an eye on. Like we mentioned, Pitt's going to try and stop the run. Tennessee's going to try and you know, run the ball effectively. Ultimately, if Tennessee can run the ball, you're going to see fireworks. You're going to see them light up that scoreboard. You're going to see Cedric Tillman have over 100 yards receiving because that's the formula for Tennessee. They're also going to go NASCAR fast. They're going to run a lot of plays. How does Pitt handle that? How does Pitt respond to this kind of tempo? I'm just saying, it's something to watch as this game progresses because tempo wears out a defense. And a tired defense is typically not a good rush defense. And we saw that last week when they played West Virginia. Pitt didn't look awesome against Mathis. Led up over 100 yards rushing. Wasn't strong showing. So for the Panthers, all of it starts with stopping that run. That's their calling card. That's who they want to be. Can they be that against Tennessee? It's going to have to be the case. Otherwise, Hennon Hooker is going to light him up. He's that talented. They're that dynamic across the board. They're going to light them up. Now, defensively, Tennessee is going to have to answer the call. Tennessee is going to have to answer the call to what 
Pitt's going to try to do offensively, which is running the ball, which is playing physical. Sort of a yin and yang here. Pitt wants to be physical and then do play action. Tennessee wants to run the ball, wear you out, and then spread you out. That's sort of the mix, if you will, when it comes to this game. So Tennessee's got to be able to withstand a couple of those punches to keep them out of that play action rhythm, if you will. When it comes to our prediction for this game, we just think Tennessee's going to score. There's no more Kenny Pickett for Pitt. There's no more Jordan Addison for Pitt. It was a track meet a year ago. I think that Tennessee gets out to a quick pace, and when they can force that issue against Pitt, I think it very much favors the Vols. That's bad, bad news if you're a Pitt fan. A lot of points for Tennessee. I think it's 31-20 Tennessee, so they cover, and we think they win this game. We think they win this game in revenge sort of fashion. So Josh Heupel, Tennessee, Hennon Hooker, they keep on rolling and get a big win, revenge win against Pitt. That'll be a fun one to watch, though. I think we learned a lot about both programs. Pitt's sort of this mystery right now. I thought they very easily could have lost that game against West Virginia last week. Bryce Ford Wheaton, who we're a big fan of on this show, hit the hands, my guy. Had two touchdowns receiving, a great tackle on special teams, but it hit the hands, goes up in the air, your heart breaks for the kid, then run it back. That ultimately ended up being the difference in that game. Another really exciting matchup this week, a ranked matchup for the first time since 1952, Kentucky. Number 20 ranked Kentucky going to the Swamp to play Anthony Richardson and number 12 ranked Florida. This will be a seven Eastern kick. Florida right now is favored by four and a half points. I am very much excited for this one. Kentucky was a lot of people's trendy pick to play for the SEC title. Again, it's a trendy pick. I think people that were a little more grounded probably had him finishing second and third in that part of the conference. But all that's to say, Kentucky is in for a ride. They're in for a ride against AR. It's not to say they can't handle it, but I'm just saying they're going to have to bring their fastball, have to bring their A game to be Anthony Richardson and company. Because that's where this game starts defensively for Kentucky. Can you keep tabs on AR? Can you minimize him? If he runs for 100 yards like he did last week against Utah, we may have issues. We may have issues. So can you make him uncomfortable? Can you find a way to get after him? And can you minimize the other pieces around AR? Are you going to say, I think there's two options. Are you going to say, AR, if you beat us, you beat us, and that's the way it goes? Or do you say, we're not going to lose based on what you do, Anthony Richardson? Somebody else has got to beat us, but we're taking away Anthony Richardson. I think I'd probably fall closer to the latter strategy than the former, but all that's to say they can't have the versatility offensively. You got to take something away. Got to take something away if you're Kentucky to have a chance in this game. Offensively, can you earn the right to be versatile? Last week against Miami of Ohio, I was really underwhelmed by Kentucky. 50 yards rushing. That was it. 50 yards rushing. For Kentucky, as a pro-style offense, it is predicated on being able to get something on the ground. It's not like you're trying to be a run-heavy team, but you've got to be able to move the line of scrimmage a little bit. And we love Miami, Ohio here. I mean, they're running things in the MAC for a long time, it feels like. But 50 yards? You're an SEC team. You're an SEC program. you got to get more than 50 yards on the ground. And that's going to be crucial because Will Levis is a lot of people's hot pick to be the first quarterback off the board. 
I see the ability, but if you don't have a running back that's going to help you, you don't have an offensive line that's going to help you, they're really missing Rodriguez right now. Doesn't sound like they'll have him for this game. They've kept that pretty close to the vest, but they are really missing him offensively. So if you can generate something up front, well, then Will Levis is able to sort of have less pressure on him because there was a number out there from one of our guys, StatCat, works for On3, a little less than 50% of the time, closer to 40% of the time, Will Levis is getting pressured. Will Levis can't throw the football if he's lying on his back. That's called a sack. So can they earn the right to be versatile by getting something going offensively? Because if not, if you're sitting in third and 10 consistently, you're sitting in second and 10 consistently, Florida's got some dudes. Brenton Cox, Ventrell Miller are some dudes. They will get after the quarterback. And that's kind of been an issue for, for Florida is, okay, get after the quarterback, but do you have depth inside? Something to watch. Kentucky's going to try to run the ball inside. Might not hit first, second quarter, but late second quarter, early third quarter, into the fourth quarter, are they able to generate something? Will be a really interesting battle to watch there. Now for Florida, I think the game plan is similar to what they did against Utah. Defensively, force passing downs, just like we were talking about. And then when it comes to the offense, there's always going to be the ace up the sleeve of, hey, AR could just take over. That might just be it. Like, AR just takes over. You don't want to depend on that, but in a ranked matchup, another big-time matchup, AR's encore from putting on the Superman cape against Utah, maybe he does it. I will never rule that out with AR after what I saw last week. I know we said no definitive statements, but I was thoroughly impressed by what we saw number 15 do for the Gators. So he could take over. But let's say he doesn't take over. Let's say he has a pedestrian kind of day. Is there somebody else on this roster? Are there other playmakers that can step up for them? Do you get the run game going? ETN, Wright, Montrell, all those guys. Can they get rolling? Because I think that would make Florida extremely dangerous. And that's one of the keys for them, I think, in this game is, can you do it without your fastball? We've seen your fastball. Your fastball is Anthony Richardson taking over. That's a nice luxury to have. But whether it's this game or down the road, there will be times where he's not running for 100 yards and three touchdowns. There's going to be a time throughout the season. Does Ricky Pearsall step up? Do they beat him through the air? Does Anthony Richardson do it with his arm? Again, the running back group, so deep. Can they set the tempo? Can they be the reason they win this game? Those are things I'm watching for. Because this linebacking group for Kentucky is really, really special. Got a lot of guys that are going to play on Sunday. DeAndre Square being one of them. Got to watch this for them. It's going to be a good test for, I think, both programs. Get a good litmus test for both programs. Obviously, a huge game in the SEC. So excited to see that. But again, for Tennessee, excuse me, for Tennessee, for Florida, that is going to be crucial to have more than just one option offensively outside of AR. Golly. Nick, they're going to they're gonna come after us here for saying Tennessee and we're talking about Florida. I apologize. Our prediction for this game, Florida just has more talent on the roster. So I think Florida is the program that probably has the edge in this game. Also, it's in the swamp. I like Will Levis. I'm not sold on Will Levis just yet. I'm not. Made some decisions last week I wasn't crazy about. The offensive line has a lot of trouble protecting him. And when you have trouble protecting your quarterback against this Florida defensive line, it ain't good. 
I'll tell you that. It ain't good, especially in the swamp. So we think Florida wins this game. The momentum of Florida carries them through in this win as well. I think that also makes them dangerous. But Florida wins this game 31-23. Gators get it done in the swamp. That'll be a fun one to watch, though, because Kentucky was getting all this chatter, and then we're only up three against Miami of Ohio at half. They eventually pulled away, but we got to see, is Kentucky still bringing the juice to the table? There's a lot of excitement in Lexington, but is there some substance there? I think there is under the hood, but does it show up against Florida? We'll see. A little late night game for you. Number nine, Baylor, going to Provo to play BYU, number 21 ranked BYU. BYU is favored by four. This game is at 10-15 Eastern. Now, we were at this game a year ago in Waco. was an awesome atmosphere. was an awesome environment as BYU had just announced along with some other schools they were coming to the Big 12. That's Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU all coming to the Big 12. So BYU, I think, ran out with a Big 12 flag. Anyway, really cool, really cool environment. This is going to be a conference matchup going forward. But BYU being ranked number 21 and favored by four at home against a top 10 ranked Baylor program, really, really intriguing matchup. I was a little surprised that, not surprised, I, I would have probably given a second thought to game day being in Provo for this game. Another video for another time. Baylor breaking a new quarterback since they saw BYU last time, Blake Shapin. Had his debut against Albany, gave us no reason to believe he won't be a good asset for them and, and allow them to have a more vertical passing attack. They had a lot of success last year, did Baylor, with the wide zone. The wide zone is sort of this downhill where you run towards the tackle with your running back. It's downhill rushing attack, if you will. That's going to be still the plan for Baylor, but ultimately they're going to try and th threaten you more vertically because I think they know, hey, we lost some really good backs to the NFL we got to have something else offensively. we got to be able to stretch the field. Otherwise, physical programs like BYU, who has just about the whole defense coming back, that's where we're going to run into problems. Not to mention it's in probe. I mean, that's going to be a really good test for Baylor. So they need to be able to stretch the ball vertically. Then defensively, Puka Nakua had a huge day and a loss last year against Baylor. This was a Baylor defense that was elite a season ago. They lost some folks to the NFL on defense as well. Can they keep a lid on those big plays? Can they keep from Jaron Hall and Puka Nakua just playing backyard football and throwing it up and putting up big points? That's going to be a hinge point for this game. Because for Baylor, they, they want to probably slow the game down a little bit. They want to be able to play a little bit more between the tackles and have more of a pro-style approach. I said they still want to throw vertical, but running the ball is still going to be the bread and butter of this offense. It's still going to be their plan A. The only difference is they're going to try and have a little bit more of a counter to that plan A if you're Baylor going forward. So for BYU, you got to force the issue. I feel like we say that a lot on this show, but you got to force the issue. No big plays defensively. Force Baylor to try and go length of the field on you. And then for the quarterback play at, at BYU, Jaron Hall has to be the catalyst. He is the way this offense lives and dies. Really experienced now at BYU. He's a guy that it does a lot with his legs. He's a really great dual threat. Is a real deal fast. He has to create extra opportunities for BYU to win this football game because the experience may slightly favor BYU in this environment, but I think the roster still favors Baylor. You can't get plowed up front if you're Baylor for either program. You can't get overpowered up front. That's going to be huge. 
our prediction. I really think Baylor has something special in Blake Shapin. We saw it in the Big 12 title game. We saw it against Albany, obviously. I mean, there's something to this kid that I feel could be really, really special. It's in the early stages, obviously, but he just adds a whole new element in addition to what they have up front with that offensive line. I think they get a good enough push. Maybe they're not dominant in this game, but I think they get a good enough push for Baylor to win this game, and they win it in a close one. In Provo, close one, 30-27. to 27. Game kicks at 10-15 Eastern, like we had mentioned. This is one that you're going to want to stay up for. It'll be a thriller to finish, but Baylor wins this game again, 30-27. to Big win for the Bears. Very big win for the Bears, as they are continuing to build a machine down there in Waco with Dave Aranda, who is a rising star in the college football ranks, especially the head coaching ranks. I mean, for, I mean just as a whole, is someone that a lot of programs wanted a year ago. I'm not going to get on my Dave Aranda soapbox right now, but believe you me, I could. I got it in the tank. All right. Let's finish the thing up with uh, Against the Suits, huh? If you're new to the program, that's okay. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Subscribe to the channel. Follow me on Twitter. Against the Suits is the same acronym as Against the Spread. ATS, right? So you see it, you say, against the, no, no, no. Against the Suits, not Against the Spread. Okay, good. Interesting. What does that mean? Well, my whole life, my whole gambling life, maybe, is a better word to use. I've been told the house always wins. Hey, Vegas always wins. You can't win them all. To that, I say, that is garbage. I don't buy into that. We don't buy into that in this show. And you don't have to buy into that. Yeah, they got some tall towers in Vegas. So what? We're going to knock them down. We are against the suits because those people that are wearing suits in Vegas are the ones who built the towers. We're taking back what's ours. Again, went four and two last week, so we made some money. We're going to keep the party rolling. The party rolls on. This week, we make some more money. South Carolina at Arkansas. We previewed that game already on this program. We think that Arkansas's offensive line and defensive line is the difference in this game. I'm not sold on Spencer Rattler. Also, Sam Pittman and co. They're 17 and six against the spread. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Sam Pittman is a great coach. He's coaching a great team that seems to cover pretty consistently. We're taking that again. We like Arkansas minus eight and a half. Another game we already previewed, Kentucky at Florida. Florida is favored right around four and a half. We like it up to five and a half, depending on which book you're using. I think the consensus is now at five and a half. We're not overly impressed with Kentucky's offensive line, like we talked about. 50 yards rushing. Will Levis getting pressured a lot of the time. I don't care how good you are if you're Will Levis. If you have a grown man running in your living room, you got issues. So we like Kentucky to cover that. Swamp is a dangerous place to go. AR appears to be a generational talent. So we're rolling with Florida. We think they get it done at home. Again, Florida covering it up to five and a half. I truly like it up to a touchdown, if we're being honest. Roll party roll. Next game, Oklahoma is favored by 32 and a half against Kent State. Now it's big spread, big spread for a reason. That offense at Oklahoma is clicking on all cylinders based on one game of sample size. We're going to take it as it is right now. But Dylan Gabriel, Jeff Levy, you know how I feel. I think that's a match made in heaven. The defense getting them edge about themselves. I think that that 32.5 number is good enough for Oklahoma. We'll take that. Oklahoma minus 32.5 at home against Kent State. 
Next game, we got Boston College plus three against VaTech. Both these programs had heartbreaking losses a week ago. VaTech got the field stormed at ODU last week. Boston College lost a close game to Rutgers. I think Boston College bounces back. I don't love Virginia Tech's offense. They turned the ball over way too much last week. Got a gunslinger at quarterback. I think that is the kiss of death for them as the turnover woes continue. Boston College covers the three. It's close enough to where it's tempting to go money line. Do so at your own risk. But we like Boston College plus three. A program that covered for us last week as well was West Virginia. You dance with the one that brung you, folks. They're playing Kansas this week. Kansas comes to Morgantown. West Virginia favored by 13 and a half. Book it. I don't think Vegas has JT Daniels figured out yet. And a curious, confused Vegas is more money for the people. More money against the suits. More money on the hard count. Okay, so we're taking West Virginia to cover that 13 and a half at home against Kansas. It's country roads. I don't think you lose at home if you're West Virginia in this game. Not against Kansas. Okay, so JT Daniels, West Virginia, get on the winning side of things. So to recap, we got South Carolina minus 8.5. We got Florida minus 5.5. We have Oklahoma minus 32.5. And and we like Boston College plus 3 against Virginia Tech. Now, I'm going to add one more to this. But this is not an official pick that we're giving out. This is going to be something I think we start doing on a week-to-week basis But this is our at-your-own-risk pick, meaning we like it, we're in for it, we're taking it, but if you don't tail us on this, that's okay. No shame in that. Five good picks, roll with it. If you're looking to steal something extra here, if you're feeling like, you, hey, we like where we're at, we got some money in our pocket, we're going to keep rolling with this thing, you know, let's keep it hot, let's play the hot hand, I think Michigan minus 52 against Hawaii is extremely enticing. J.J. McCarthy getting the start this week. It's hard to argue against the explosive capabilities of this offense at Michigan with him at quarterback. Hawaii gave up 63 to Vanderbilt. Roll party roll at your own risk. Take Michigan minus 52. Golly, good show. Good show all around. Good show here with Nick Brake. feel like we held it down behind the mic. Appreciate y'all tuning in. If y'all aren't watching, it's just me and Nick breaking the dojo, which is a great thing. I love it, but ultimately what makes this special, what makes this worthwhile, is y'all watching this program. So we can't thank you enough. There's no more talk about we're back. No more talk about, wow, football's finally here again. It's week two. Like, hey, the, the glitz and glamour has worn off. A lot of programs already got L's. We're in the thick of this thing now, okay? Look alive. We have our game week that we do every single week. If you follow me on Twitter, it's Mental Monday. It is Tough Tuesday. Hard Hat Wednesday. No Sweat Thursday. Fast Friday. Game Day Saturday. Showtime Sunday. Showtime Sunday. We will be back on air Sunday night, 7 Eastern, 6 Central, to recap the wild Saturday that I'm sure is about to be upon us here very, very soon. So again, we appreciate you subscribing to the channel. Over 15,000, that's all y'all. Okay, let's keep this thing rolling. Roll, party, roll. So, fittingly enough, we will keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.